everyone. I am really, really excited today. Uh, we've got a great guy with me here. Brad Jerzak is someone I've been following for a long time. Have I said that right, Brad Jerzak? Yeah, that's correct. Perfect. I, I always and you're still Drysdale, isn't that true? Drysdale. It is correct. Yeah, yes. Okay. And you know what? Most people end up calling me Paul online. Like I, I'm not even joking. I would say two, three times a day, I'm called Paul rather than Phil. And I. I don't even know how that works. People are reading my name. and So anyway, but yeah, Phil Drysdale, Brad Jerzak. I'm excited because Brad has just written some incredible books that have really fed into my life. I've followed him on Facebook for a long time. His blogs are incredible. Um, and he's quite a curator of other people as well. Through him, I've discovered a whole bunch of amazing people. And so, Brad, could you maybe um, just quickly introduce yourself for people that don't know who you are? Maybe who you are, what you do, why you do it might be a, a good tag onto that as well. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I, I grew up in a, I grew up in a evangelical context, uh, Baptist then became a pastor in a Mennonite church where I was ordained with the, into the Jesus way for about 10 years. And then we planted a church called Freshwind Christian Fellowship that I led for 10 years. Um, we'd call it very low church, very, um, small C charismatic, but it, it revolved around people with disabilities, uh, addicts, children, and the poor. Um, I stepped down from there and went on to do my PhD in theology while my wife carried on leading that church. Wow. Um, as a result of that, I ended up with sort of a, a multi-former uh, pastor, ex-pastor vocations. So I teach uh, New Testament theology uh, early church fathers and classics and contemplative spirituality at schools like Westminster Theological Center based in Cheltenham, but also some of the adjunct gigs I have in North America. And I write books and I do uh, seminars on listening to God, mm. um, on a more Christ-like God that we'll discuss a little bit today. And I'm also uh, now the editor-in-chief of a magazine called CWR Magazine, which stands for Christianity Without the Religion, and uh, also their blog. But you can see that magazine and that blog online. So I have this eclectic mix of a lot of traveling to schools and churches for the seminars, but also tons of stuff where I'm sitting at my kitchen table editing magazines and writing. And I'm wow. currently writing my first novel, which I'm looking forward to release next year. Fantastic. All right. Well, yeah. I won't uh, eke any spoilers out of you, but uh, <laughs> it's great. I love a novel over a theological tome. I, I spend my whole life reading theological books, so a novel just lights me up. I get excited about them. <laughs> they um, deliver truth better than nonfiction. Oh, honestly. seriously. Seriously. I think I've handed more copies of The Shack to to people than every other book I've ever given combined. You know, it's uh, yes, there's yes. something about a novel, isn't there? You, It meets you where you are. It's the parables. It's It's whatever. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, wow, it sounds like you do a lot. Uh, uh, got your finger in a lot of different pies and, yeah, making uh, just, yeah, lots. I was going to say making lots of messes, but maybe uh, that's a bad phrase. I mean, it's a good phrase. I'm not it's sure. It's kind of true. It's kind of true, yeah. <laughs> and I didn't mention that I'm now also the monastery preacher in an Eastern Orthodox monastery where I'm wow. an ordained reader. And so that's a whole other thing. I've, I'm, I'm comfortable with one foot— in, in the low church charismatic tradition yeah. and another in the high church. And so we say wow. everything from incense to nonsense, I, I have a foot in it. <laughs> and you can imagine the, the groin injuries that causes by trying to straddle those movements. But I, I they certainly have a can. Common, uh, what ha they have in common is a, a pushback against religion. 
in in mm. the negative sense, the pejorative yeah. sense. And so wow. uh, that's where I'm at. Yeah. Talk, talk to me a bit about that journey, because that sounds to me um, like that's that's really unique to me um, is um, a Christian that has been around the block a little bit and has experienced quite a few different things, but but seems to be happy enough to to maintain relationship with those different movements. Because what I tend to see a lot of the time is people that uh, over time, they kind of like they're done with the last thing and they've kind of shunned yeah. it and they've moved on. And now I'm right. And then. <laughs> 10 years down the line they're 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 in the next place but, but how have you managed that like to sort of stay in good relationship with different types of movements and yeah that's a good question um i suppose some of it i could summarize using the expression uh i i packed my bags and that implies both moving forward or moving but also taking something with you hmm. and so that's one angle that each movement I've been a part of contains spiritual gifts. Uh, the whole thing of we need each other because we each are different body parts that have different gifts isn't just referring to individuals. It's movements. So from the Baptist, 20 years with the Baptist, uh, one thing I packed from there was my Bible. Uh, I fell in mm. love with the scriptures, and it's through them that I met Christ and that I have a desire to share the good news of the gospel. They're very evangelistic in that sense. Um, with the Mennonites, uh, I brought with me a wife and also <laughs> um, uh, their their deep commitment to the Jesus way, the Sermon on the Mount, not only the, the life and, and death and resurrection of Christ, but what he taught. Do you believe him? Not just believe in him, but do you actually believe him and follow him? And wow. they pushed that very gospel-centered thing, and I've, I've kept that and retained that. Um, and then with the, the charismatic kind of, uh, fresh wind thing that was that combined a real emphasis on a heart for justice for the for the outcasts, mm. but also a commitment to uh, healing ministry and especially inner healing ministry, which was a huge part of what we do. Wow. And then now with the Orthodox, um, I find that a lot of folks who are on the move right now have a desire to be faithful. And they worry that uh, some of these moves forward into like a God who is love, that that's somehow going out on a limb. And I feel like, no, we need to get back to our roots because that is the roots. The very people who gave us the Bible, who gave us the doctrine of the Trinity and the deity of Jesus Christ, also taught us what salvation is about and how to read the Bible. And right. so for me... Um, uh, that element, actually, the the ancient Orthodox tradition, I'd call it the apostolic Orthodox tradition, um, has given me an image of God that is much more beautiful than I once had, uh, who is love and mercy and compassion, and to whom we we uh, we worship him as uh, uh, we call him a human befriending God, you know, mm. uh, who never turns on us. And so some of that can sound <laughs> progressive to my progressive friends and alarming to my conservative friends. But I'm saying, well, no, if you want to be faithful to the faith once delivered, let's find out what it was. And let's ask those who are stewards of it. So that's what I'm embracing there. So that's one thing. I embrace the gifts from each movement, but also the people, right? And so right. Um, hopefully, hopefully, as we are growing, we're also uh, broadening our embrace, right? Mm. So uh, that we're not just casting off one group to embrace another group. Mm. Now, uh, to be honest, though, there are those who, as I move, have cast me off. 
and uh, publicly denounce me and so on. But, you know, really uh, good hearted people want to stay in relationship and they get that we they'll know we're Christians by our love Mm -hmm. and where that's where 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 Christianity has been known by exclusion and hatefulness and self-righteousness. It's like then, you know, Christ got pretty snarky around that, actually, Mm -hmm. but never hateful. And uh, so I like to say I don't want any bitter taste in my mouth to become a bitter root in my heart. I want I want love to grow. So that's a long answer to a simple question, but wow! But a, a really important question. So I do I, I genuinely I see it every day people struggling with that 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 nature of transitioning when they're learning and growing and 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 how to walk with people and, and bring people with them or allow people to stay behind. And that's okay. They've got their journey, but how do you navigate that relationship and stuff? And so that's, that's really, that's, that's good. And that's, that's key. In fact, can you maybe even touch on some of that of like, how, how do you navigate when, when you seem to be uh, from your perspective, moving forward and, and grabbing new aspects or, or as you said, old aspects um, mm-hmm. and, and other people aren't, how do you how do you do relationship in that sense in, in a Christian sense in a in a sense of still being a part of the body and celebrating Christ together when you may see Christ quite fundamentally different? Yeah, that's really true. And so I, I would start by saying I can't manage their responses or their reactions. So there are some who who uh, just become angry or accusatory and so on. But what I can do, and my, my godfather, David Goa, taught me this. He said, you need to, they need to be convinced that you are convinced mm. that the path they are on right now today is holy, and it's where God has them. And it's not for you to move them to a different path. It, you, can, you can testify to where he's put you on a path, and I'm, I'm okay to, to push a little bit on belief systems that I think are toxic and are hurting them. Hmm. but but everybody everybody is on a path and where they are today is where god has them today so for me to sort of uh, denounce them or to deride them for being who they are and where they are right now uh that that's not right but and somehow i need to convince them that i'm convinced that they're okay and i've been where they are and I've moved, but I also know people who are where I am who've moved to where they are. So I don't want to even be presumptuous that I'm speaking from higher ground than them. I'm just saying right. in my story, I've moved. I'm hoping I'm moving forward and deeper. And that will will find out on Judgment Day, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. That's really, really good. I think that's some real key insight there. And um, so you mentioned, um, and I know you want to talk about this quite a bit, uh, you mentioned that you've got a book called A More Christ-Like God. And, and I, I love the book. I really, really challenged and inspired. But, but talk to me about that that phrase, because I, I feel like um, most Christians would go, well, what do you mean a more Christ-like God? Doesn't God look like Jesus? That's a, a non-negotiable, right? Um, talk to me about that phrase and, and why you use it and maybe um, what what you're challenging there. Yeah, I've been challenged even by my Orthodox friends on the title because they they would say, "Well, what do you mean?" It's like, "Well, read the book." And so what I <laughs> what I mean is we have we carry um, because of our personal experiences in life, because of our indoctrination as children, um, and because of projections of our own temperament, mm. we carry 
toxic images of God. It's it's not that God needs to be more Christ-like. It's that my image of God needs to pass through the person of Jesus Christ, who who alone is perfect theology. When the Bible says that Jesus is the Word of God, it is claiming that Jesus is what God has to say about himself. Hmm. And John chapter 1 says, nobody has ever seen God at any time, not Moses, not Abraham, not Isaiah, not Daniel. And hey, John read the Old Testament where they said, I saw the Lord. But he's saying, actually, in his essence, no one has seen God at any time except for God, the only son, who's in the bosom of the father. He has made him known. He has exegeted him. And so then Jesus becomes our final final and, and only perfect revelation of the nature of God. Then what we do is we have to say, uh, how is the revelation of God through Jesus Christ, especially not um, in, in his incarnation, but climaxing at the cross where we, where we get the clearest focus on the nature of God, how is that different from the one I'm carrying? And mm. even how does it challenge some of the images of God expressed by other authors, narrators, and characters in Scripture itself? Mm. And so... Um, uh, from an orthodox point of view, we would say this, that any scripture that claims to be a revelation of God must bow before the living God when he came in the flesh. Wow. And so, you know, in, in Hebrews chapter one, we're like, in past times, God did speak to and through prophets and and, and uh, patriarchs and these kind of guys. But, it, but in these last days, he's spoken to us through his son in a definitive way that even faithfully challenges the the worldview's through which God was revealed to earlier mm. folks. And so we, you know, um, and that's, that I picked up already from the Mennonites. Right. That we don't read a flat Bible. Mm. Um, we don't even read just a, a progressive revelation as if Paul trumps Jesus. You right. know, it's Jesus <laughs> is the pinnacle of this revelation, and the Gospels are our highest authority in that they they directly tell us the words and the works of Jesus Christ, and and um, those words and those works, know that image that's revealed there, sometimes sometimes challenges even other uh, other claims to revelation in Scripture. And this is really troubling for conservatives, right? And, uh, what are you saying about the Bible? It's like I'm saying you're not welcome into the Bible without Jesus as your sponsor. That's a, I got mm. that from uh, Brian Zond, who uh, read everything he writes, Z-A-H-N-D, Brian Zond, um, because, because as Jesus taught his disciples on the road to Emmaus, these scriptures are about him. Mm. Um, and so when the God described in some scriptures is not in alignment with the Abba that Jesus Christ revealed— then we need to do some interpretive work about um, what what are what are the filters, what are the worldviews, what are the points of view of those authors and and characters and narrators uh, mm-hmm. that needs an upgrade by looking at Jesus. But also, how about me? Where is my vision of God not like Christ? Right. And it needs to be more Christ-like. And that's so that's where the title is coming from. Yeah. So I, 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 I'm hearing what you're saying, and I'm, I'm getting it, I'm loving it, and, and I'm just thinking, like, 
there's alarm bells going off here, there, and everywhere um, mm -hmm. from the conservative or, or however you would word it, evangelical perspective of um, that flat Bible or, or that, that all-authoritative word of God um, yeah. that, well, you, you can't just pick and choose. And, and if you are picking and choosing, at least based on Jesus, well, Jesus is still in the Bible. Surely you're just picking and choosing because Jesus is mean sometimes or sometimes he's nice. And well, if you're just picking the good bits and then you're reinterpreting the rest of the... So uh, can you talk a bit into that? Maybe not just um, from a, uh, a theological perspective of just who you conceive God to be, but maybe almost adding some of your church history and, and your knowledge within that of like, how how how... How has it been read historically and, and how, how should it be read? And, and are we on the right page there or is that part of the problem? Does and are we sense? even, yes, and are we even reading the book? When I, when I see people who have an ideology of a flat Bible where every mm. verse is equally true, I know for sure they aren't reading the Bible because mm. right within the Bible, Scripture is challenging Scripture. Prophets are challenging patriarchs. Chroniclers are correcting historians even within a book. I'll give you some examples quickly. So I mm, think that's the good. place to start. Let's start in the Bible itself, all right? Some examples I like to use. The book of Joshua um, has two voices, and so many people don't actually read the book of Joshua either because they assume that they know what's in it or because they're picking and choosing what to read in it or because they've read it and now they're offended by it. And I'm like, you don't have to be offended by it, but you do have to read it. And so what I see there is really obvious examples of a voice that's like a government press release that's saying, God's on our side. He promised we will win. He promised we'd win completely. He promised we'd win quickly. And we did win. And here's the tribes we beat. And now we have peace in the land to, uh, to this day hmm. in alternating chapters. You have an embedded reporter completely challenging that narrative, saying we did not always win. God was not always on our side. In fact, we lost a fair bit. Here's the tribes we lost to. They're still alive and they're in the land to this day. Hmm. And he names the same tribes. Wow. What's going on? Either he's an idiot who's contradicting himself. <laughs> I don't believe that. I believe scripture's inspired revelation of our story with God. That story includes a biblical, right within one book, a biblical challenge to this surface narrative that's very triumphalistic. We always win, hooray, yay. And, and yes, God was with them. So that's part of the revelation. But no, we didn't always win. No, And so there's this faithful challenging of the text in the text in one book. Another example I alluded to earlier is um, there's a story about David counting his mighty men in, in uh, recounted in, in one of Samuel's books. And in that, it says that God was angry at Israel. It doesn't say why. Hmm. And because God was angry at Israel, he tempted David to count his mighty men so that he could punish them. Hundreds of years later, the chronicler, book of First, Second Chronicles, they retell the very same story and they whoever writes it is looking at it and going, wait a minute, that's not right. He doesn't say that's not right. What he does is he goes ahead and he changes a word. God doesn't tempt. Satan tempts. Mm. And we know from the book of James chapter 1 that God never tempts anyone. 
So we know Samuel, that's a challenge to what Samuel's saying. So right within the text, they're already, they're already developing new perspectives yeah. I think I, you know, I think being serious with Scripture, taking bi- the Bible seriously, means noticing that stuff and not trying to use my ideology to force it all together. Mm. Another example: you've got all these commandments about about um, sacrificial system, right, in the law. You get to Jeremiah seven; he's critiquing the temple system, and this could just be rhetoric. But he comes out and says, Yahweh says, "I never told you." to I never gave commandments to sacrifice animals. You're like, what? I can show you them. <laughs> right. What's Has Jeremiah, Jeremiah not got a Bible? <laughs> yeah. So what we do, instead of letting Jeremiah say what Jeremiah says, some of our translators have to fit it into their ideology where it all fits, and they add the word merely. I never merely told you. I'm like, tell me, can you tell the difference between these two sentences? Okay, this is a quiz for you, Phil. Would it be different to say, I never beat my wife, versus, I never merely beat my wife? Do you see how that changes? This <laughs> Drastically, is right? So when, when we have an ideology that makes us add a word to the Bible that changes the meaning of the text entirely in order to fit our system, then I'm like, who's taking it seriously now? Who's the conservative? Mm. Right? Right. All right. So now let's go to a little bit of history quickly. Well, of course, and I don't. I hardly need to mention Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard it right. said, and he he is not just quoting rabbis. He's quoting the Bible, but mm-hmm. I'm telling you, right? Or on the laws for divorce, he said, "Sure, there's a law in Moses that says this, but that does not reflect the revelation of God's heart. It reflects mm-hmm. a hardness of heart in the people." So now we, Jesus himself is telling us that some of the laws in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, are a reflection of human sin, not divine will. You're like, whoa. So you've got that faithful. Um, now, so so what's happening already with Jews before the time of Christ and first century Bible authors and then early church fathers, late first, second, third century? They're saying, okay, we have these these texts that say absolutely God is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, his, as far as the east is from the west, so great is his compassion, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is, is his mercy, and, and that God is good all the time and all he does is goodness. You've got, mm. And they, they embrace that as their theology. But then they notice these other texts where it's like, Go kill the men, the women, the children, even the babies and their animals and show no mercy. And then when Saul in 1 Samuel 15, when he shows mercy, he's condemned for it. And God's like, I didn't want mercy. And it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> I want mercy. Not you know. So you've got these kind of things happening in the text. Well, instead of smoothing it all over with our flat Bible, it's like, what did the early church do? What did the Jews do? Well, Philo of Alexandria, who died probably while Jesus was growing up, he was a Jewish rabbi, popular Jewish rabbi, who had worked out a premise. God is good, period. And he actually got that from Plato, <laughs> that our God is not like the Homeric gods who were, who were um, fickle and liars and murderers. And, um, so Plato's like, if there's a God, he's not like that. He's good, and he, he, he is light 
and he is truth and he is justice and he never ever wavers from that right and so philo picks that up and he says let's make that assumption before we even open the old testament hmm. and then when we and and so they had a, a phrase for this what is worthy of god goodness is worthy of god he is the good capital g when you open the scrolls, if you see something that is not worthy of God, you're not allowed to take it literally. That's what that was their premise. That's wow. before Christ. That's the Jews. Right. Then the early church picked up on Philo and they said the same thing. When you open the Bible and you look at something that is not worthy of God, but now they defined worthy of God as reflecting the Abba that Jesus revealed, you must not take it literally. You can take it metaphorically, you can take it symbolically, you can take it phenomenologically. So, for example, St. John Cassian would say, yes, in the Bible it says that God is wrathful and that he destroys people. He said, but, don't you be, but, but to take that literally is not worthy of the Christ-like God. Wow. And if you do take it literally, you create an idol and you commit a monstrous blasphemy. That's... Wow the early church fathers, and it's consistent. So they're mm. saying, yes, there is the language. They said, this is, these, are, these are anthropomorphisms. These are human projections onto God. They're trying to describe an experience we did have. God said, don't do this or you'll be destroyed. We did it and we were destroyed. God must be angry. God did that. God destroyed it. It's like, not, no, no, it's the consequences of sin. But so, so this is how they would work it. They would read the Bible through what is worthy of the Abba revealed through Jesus Christ as perfect love who drives out fear uh, because uh, fear uh, has to do with punishment. And they're like, God, that's not God. So that can sound very progressive, but I'm just saying that's the early church fathers. These are the guys who picked what would be in the New Testament. And right. they're telling us how to read the Old and New Testament. And to ignore how they said we should be handling these scriptures, this faith once delivered, to ignore that, I think, is liberal in a bad way. <laughs> you know, it's not very conservative. Right. So that's, that's uh, another rambling answer, but hopefully you get the point. No, that's, that's huge, and I think that's really helpful because I think um, we can use the words liberal and conservative and often that's very unhelpful and sometimes it's very helpful and, and, and that is what it is. But oftentimes that the group that would consider themselves to be, well, I'm conservative. I take the Bible at its word. I don't want to allow today's modern culture to affect me and, and things like that. Mm. Um, it sounds like in many ways they're, they're not being conservative and, and faithful and, and, and all, all of us want to be faithful. You know, all of us want I to be faithful to Christ. I to think text, we really to, do. Yep. We do. We want to, I think that's what's, and that's why I can give the benefit of the doubt to even a literalist. It's like, what are you up right. to with this? Oh, I get it. You want to be faithful. All right. So do I. Let's talk about what that could look like. Mm. Okay. So, so we, we kind of talked about, well, the people that are really going, ah, I'm freaking out a little bit here when you, when you talk about some of these things. Um, what about the people that have already begun that journey um, and, are, and are with you and go, yeah, I agree with that. I think that Jesus should be our authoritative perspective that, through which we read the text and so on and so forth. Uh, they're now in a world of hurt because they opened their mouth in front of their pastor or their friends or their church or their community or, or they said something on Facebook or, or whatever. How, how's, 
how do we how do we start that discussion? How do we engage with that? What what resources can we give to our friends? What do you know what I mean? Like that's a, that it's, it feels like a very powerless position at times when we are experiencing all this stuff and this this growth. Like, um, how do you how do you navigate that around people that really are not going to want to see the Bible in the same way? Um, and like you said, they're being very faithful. And um, does that make sense? That question, I, I kind of trying to tap into pain I felt certainly in that. Yeah. So, so you need to remember maybe that. Like you've come from somewhere and you've moved to here and other people are on a different pace than you. Mm. Um, I find it funny sometimes talking with, uh, like I really believe the whole left-right spectrum and conservative, I actually think that's a big lie. I, I, I think that mm. the spectrum itself is, is a power that we need to oppose. But um, when, it's funny when I, when I, I meet people um, who think if we're going to use that spectrum, it's like they all, they're they're critiquing those to the right of them. Uh, but then you just say something a little further left of that, they freak out again too. It's like okay, see where and and the point isn't to get from right to left. I think the point right. is to to grow without becoming self-righteous and hateful. And so there's this language these days of deconstruction, right? Well, when I went through my deconstruction, uh, and I'm not even sure that language is super helpful. Um, uh, if we're, if we're going to talk about that, that's language that came from the philosopher Jacques Derrida. And, and his point was, um, as, we're, as we're developing in our belief systems, and we're we're shaking loose some of the things that were too hardened in our belief system. Mm. It is not a solution to come to a new hardness. <laughs> you know, mm. oh now I had it locked down, I've unlocked it, and now I'm going to oh I've I've locked it down somewhere else now. Right. And so unfortunately what's happening with some of my some of my progressive friends is is they've switched sides on issues, but they haven't changed temperaments. They're still self righteous mm. and hateful. And like, right. it's just on on the other side of the chain link fence now. And it's like, no, growth is about moving, moving from pride to humility. And mm. it's about uh, moving from certainty uh, to confidence. And, and maybe that is an area where some of your, some of your listeners in the question is, what are they going to move to? Are they going to move just to agnosticism? Well, maybe you could. Christian agnosticism that says, I don't know everything, but I am going to hang on to Jesus. That's mm. a good start. That's a good start. Um, whereas some are abandoning the faith altogether in their hurt and, in, and, and throwing up their hands and say, well, then we can't know anything. It's like, sure you can. First of all, <laughs> let's start with our experience of Jesus Christ. I have a I have a feeling that a lot of folks who are now um, they they've opened up their minds to different ways of seeing God, but really we need to say that's not enough. We need to encounter God. We need to know people who can walk with us into encounters with God. Mm. And I have to say, you know, I've done let's see, I've done uh, 13 years of theological education but you know what 95 percent of what i know about god is from watching how he treats people in the context of deep trauma doing inner healing work on their hearts and the encounters they have with him wow. so i my theology attempts to describe what i'm seeing in real life 
And um, the so the premise, the my premises aren't coming um, from from a corner of a theology laboratory. Um, they're coming from watching addicts who are meeting grace and mercy for the same for the first time and not encountering retribution and shame mm. and guilt tripping. And I'm like, oh, is that what he's like? Oh, I see this in Psalm 103. Oh, I see this in 1 John 3 and 4. Oh, I th- and, and so then the scriptures are identifying our experience and our theology should be identifying our experience rather than having this prescription of God must be like this. So, you know, wow. uh, I don't, that might've been unclear, but. That's, that's really, really good. And, and when you first mentioned it, the moving from certainty to confidence, I was going to go, oh, that's a good question to ask. But you kind of unpacked that a little bit as we went. And because um, I think a lot of people need certainty. And, and I know for me, I've got close friends that as they start moving in this direction, uh, the Bible was their certainty. And, mm. and their certainty mm-hmm. wasn't built in the faith or the tradition or even their relationship with Jesus. It was built in uh, a doctrinal kind of statement of faith or whatever. And when that starts to loosen, they're not sure what to hold on to. And, and so that you really unpack yeah. that so much of just the experience, the connection, Jesus working in and through people. I think that's huge and that's that's beautiful um really really beautiful um i should just yeah. say then too if you i mean i i feel like certainty as certainty is a modernistic idea that you can know something beyond a shadow of a doubt through a, a, a proving it mm-hmm. in a usually in a court or a lab and the truth is doctrinal certitude is neither necessary nor sufficient for Christian faith, um, but confidence comes from a whole variety of 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 warranting factors. My experiences with God, my encounters with God in the Scriptures, my experience of life with God in Christian fellowship, my um, experience of the Holy Spirit, my te- third-party testimonies—all these are warranting factors that have made me very confident in who Jesus is, and I don't need to prove it. I, uh, in fact, I can't. And, and uh, but, but if somebody wants to know, okay, what, give me some handle. What I've been, what the early church did was they said we have something called the canon of faith, and this predates the canon of Scripture. It's called the faith once delivered passed on from Jesus through the apostles, through the bishops in the early church, until they until they summarized it in the creeds. So I pray the Nicene Creed every day that I can remember to do so. And, um, and, and I do that because this is the canon of faith that we've inherited from the early church, summarizing what the gospel it is, what, what, what is the faith once delivered. And in fact... Um, the canon of faith was the criteria by which they chose what would be in the New Testament and what wouldn't. Mm. In fact, the Nicene Creed was finalized before the book of Revelation got into the mm. fi- final canon. And and they hesitated on the book of Revelation because they weren't sure if it lined up. And so they're like, so if you want a canon, if you want a handle, um, the, the, the creeds are not just you know these theological confessions they came up with. They were the, it was the church remembering what is what is our basic foundational gospel right. here, and then and then they formed the New Testament around that. Wow, that's really huge because 
I would imagine a lot of people would have heard of the Nicene Creed. Probably many of them could even recall it. Would you say that the Nicene Creed is... Um, what would you say are some of the, the, the main differences you see between the Nicene Creed and... Um, I mean, if you can broad stroke Christianity, I mean, it's, I mean, you know, I mean, from Orthodox to Western to Protestant to Catholic, I mean, there's so much to go there. But maybe mm -hmm. if we talked more about just uh, our worlds of maybe evangelical um, Western Christianity, are there, are there substantive differences between what um, one group would say, well, this is this is part of the faith. It's, it's a no brainer. And the Nicene Creed would either not mention or maybe not focus on or maybe even disagree with are there areas that you would say that there's room to challenge and to question based on if we were to go back to um, that canon of faith yes um so I'll, I'll give two examples one example would be what you said about there are things it doesn't say mm. and i this is marvelous because they're saying here is what you need to believe in fact that the creed is what you confessed to get baptized wow. so that's like and so when I was chrismated into the Orthodox Church, I, I had to affirm the Nicene Creed. And and um, it doesn't say certain things. Um, so, for example, uh, on eschatology, for example, it tells us four things. It, it says that um, Christ will come again with glory uh, to judge the living and the dead. It doesn't nail down the nature of that judgment. Mm. Could be retributive, could be restorative. There's room for debate. Right. And then it says, and we look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the age to come. Doesn't talk about the death of the age to come. Doesn't talk mm. about, in fact, so there were people in the council who would have probably believed in hell. And there were others who were believed in hell, but they were universalists. So whatever hell was, it was a res it was restorative or, uh, you know, that whole, so there, that was an open debate, right? but by not including wow. that, the nature of hell or the nature of judgment, what it did is it gives you freedom of thought so that mm. you could not be called a heretic if you were even a universalist. I mean, wow. I'm not a universalist, but you know, my friend Robin Perry over there in the UK, he's a Christian mm. evangelical yeah. universalist, and, and I, will, I will defend his orthodoxy to like to the wall because he can affirm the Nicene Creed and and his his eschatology um, is a point of discussion that was happening around the creed so so I love this about the creed after 300 years they've only got eight there's only eight statements and the rest is the rest is this incredible breadth of belief system mm. the other thing I'll say is then so that the, the Nicene Creed was finalized in the in the late, you know, in the 380s, um, in the early 400s, then they had another council called the Council of Chalcedon, and at, and there they have what we call the Chalcedonian definitions, and and so the and what it did was it, they're saying who is Jesus, and who is God, so they mm -hmm. said God is, we have one God. One there's one nature. God has one nature, and that is love. And, and this, this God subsists in three persons who are indivisible, so without division and without confusion. So there's still three persons, but without division. That's important. I'll come back to it in a minute. And about Jesus, that we have one person, 
in two natures, human and divine, fully human, fully divine, not half and half. And, um, and so that, and that the two natures in Christ are indivisible. All right. Now this becomes, this becomes, um, a challenge to heresies that would divide up Jesus almost as if he was two persons. We call that heresy Nestorianism. And any heresy and the heresies that would divide up the Trinity is if it were three gods, as if you mm. could divide Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We call that tritheism, and that's a heresy, formally. Okay? Nowadays, we use the word heresy like this as an insult, <laughs> this yeah. pejorative insult that says you're a false teacher. It's like, no, no, no. Heresy, heresy was an in-house word for, pe for mistakes. Oh, you've made a mistake. Mm. And didn't kick them out of church for making mistakes. You work with people, right? But they were formally identified as heresies. All right, now how does this relate? Well, this is where this is where uh, the atonement wars have come in repeatedly mm. throughout history. And so, one challenge I would give: to, I I used to believe in penal substitutionary atonement, not in its nuanced ways that you have these days. That there are nuanced versions of it that said. You know, did Jesus do something for you you couldn't do for yourself? Of course he did. He took on Satan's sin and death and overcame it. So, okay, he's your substitute. Did What's the penalty of sin? Death. Okay. Did Jesus experience that? Yes. Okay, then it's penal. So there's nuanced versions that I get and I can affirm. But there's this crass version that's very popular, at least in North America, that says mm. – um, that God poured out all his wrath against sin on Jesus Christ and punished him instead of you to appease his wrath, right? Um, N.T. Wright in his recent book, um, what's his recent book called? The Day the Revolution Began. Mm. He said any version, there is a popular version of preaching atonement doctrine that says God's wrath needed to be appeased. I won't say this, but N.T. Wright said, that is paganizing the gospel. Mm. Well, why would he say that? Well, I don't know exactly why he would say it, but a question then I bring to the, that discussion is, if we say that the Father turned from the Son or, and in so doing poured out his wrath upon him, you're entering it, you're severing the Trinity. Right. That's tritheism. You're dividing it. You're yeah. dividing there can be no division in the Godhead at any time, including in th when Christ cries out uh, the cry of dereliction, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And if we'd kept reading Psalm 22 that he's quoting, we would notice in verse 24 that he said, he never turned his face from me. So right. we should probably stop singing that lovely song, or at least that line. <laughs> he never, he never once turned, hid his face mm -hmm. from me. So be, why not? Because the one God is, can, is without division. And so to have, if your version, if your version of penal substitution create, severs the Trinity, it is, it's, a, it's, it's informal, formal heresy. Mm. Others may see it as, well, that, that Christ became sin in his humanity, and then, and then they end up dividing his person, right? Mm. So, so God couldn't look on his, God couldn't look, wait a minute, Jesus is God. Where is God? Where is God on Good Friday? God's on the cross. Mm. Yahweh says, "You'll look on me, the one you've pierced." And so, so if we divide up somehow Christ's humanity and His deity on the cross in His sin bearing, we've 
commit Nestorianism, which is formally right. heresy. When I bring these things to the table, I've not heard an answer for it, mm -hmm. I, uh, theologically. And I, you know, this debate's been going on for 10 years about what are the limits of our atonement theology? Where have we crossed the line? Yeah. When I point this out, I get called the heretic. Like, <laughs> okay, I guess orthodoxy is the new heresy now. And that, and right. actually, wow. that's a, when I am most orthodox in my expressions, that's when I get the most heat from evangelicals, which tells me who left who here. Yeah. Come on, guys, you know. Well, and I've found that, and, and we need to wrap up now, but I've found that most evangelicals, even throwing at the phrase orthodoxy, are mm -hmm. basically saying reformationists. Yeah, that, yeah, that's, yeah. The, the orthodoxy goes back 500 years and no more. Uh, and maybe we'll pick up Augustine and a couple other favorites uh, along the way. It's um, a retributive enough, yeah. Right, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I, I know that you uh, you don't have a huge amount of time, and, and I will just want to say thank you so much it was honestly amazing and we'll definitely have to do this again and i want to pick your brain on 110 other topics um sure. you're just this fountain of wisdom and, and, and knowledge and so I, I really appreciate you taking the time to share with us um if people want to touch on more of this you've mentioned the more christ-like god and people can grab that on amazon booksellers everywhere yeah. else um, you mentioned um, hell as well and, and i know you've got a great work on that that i i personally really loved um do you want to mention that or any other resources that people can pick up? Yeah, it depends on your readership, right? So uh, I'll, I'll mention a few, uh, few yeah. of the highlight books. Um, if they're interested in learning more about hearing God's voice without mm. sort of the, um, the wacky stuff, but how to really embrace a charismatic and contemplative voice of God um, thing, we've written a book called Can You Hear Me? Tuning Into the God Who Speaks, and that's on Amazon. We also have a children's version called Children, Can You Hear Me, uh, where we teach all of our children how to hear the voice of God by the time they're four years old, you know. Wow. Um, then we, you know, then I had all these people saying, um, I either need to stop being a Christian, I'm renouncing my faith, or I would become a Christian, but I can't because of the doctrine of eternal conscious torment. And I thought, is that a deal killer? I better go check. So I did hmm. this book called Her Gates Will Never Be Shut. Hope, Hell, and the New Jerusalem, and that's also on on um, online. And the idea with that book is is I just thought I, I want to explore what the Bible actually says. So I'm going to stay within biblical parameters and study every single passage in the Bible that mm. talks about hell or alludes to hell or describes some kind of and. and and I, I think I was fair-minded in that, and I give the various positions, and mm. and um, I come out quite hopeful in it, but hopefully not presumptuous. And then um, and then we did this book we've been talking about. Um, uh, what's it called again? A More Christ-Like God, A More Beautiful <laughs> Gospel. And now I've just also completed a, a children's version of that book called Jesus Showed Us. And the premise wow. of that book is, what is God like? And every page is a story from the life of Jesus in the Gospels where the question is answered, what is God like? Jesus showed us. And what did Jesus show us? Every page is Jesus showed us that God is love. And that sort of boils down the adult book. So for those who, who don't like 300-page books, that's a nice <laughs> Pick up the kids short one. Yeah. one. Yeah. And we're finding – because the thing is uh, a lot of my friends who have come out of the more, a more retributive theology – um, into something more orthodox <laughs> or 
progressive or whatever they want to label it. Um, they're like, what do we tell our kids now? What do you tell your kids mm. about the cross? And if I could just add that then, what, what we are telling our kids about the cross is that the cross shows us that God is self-giving, radically forgiving, co-suffering love. That's the nature wow. of God seen most clearly on the cross. And, and well, then if God didn't need to punish Jesus, what is it for? Uh, it's on the cross. Jesus conquered Satan's sin and death definitively. And that's what it's for. So why yeah. did Jesus die? To destroy death. And that's actually in our liturgy. And, and so hopefully it's something healthier for because I'm I, my neighbors across the street are like, we don't even know what kids books to get now because they're so right. toxic. Well, here's a here's a try anyway. So um, awesome. and then if people can find me on Facebook, I'm on Twitter. Just look for Brad Jersak. Brad, I'll link all this stuff. So yeah, awesome. Wonderful. Well, Brad, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. And yeah, I really wholeheartedly commend all your books, all your resources. I love it. So yeah, you should definitely follow Brad and all that good stuff. And so yeah, thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thanks. We'll see you again sometime. All right, that was Brad Jerzek. What an amazing guy. I was left starving for more. Um, and so we'll definitely have him on the podcast um, again, if only for my benefit. And uh, I'm sure many of you listening would enjoy that. Um, there's, of course, a whole bunch of resources. If you can't wait for next week's podcast over on thegracecourse.com, you can watch the interviews of all the podcasts we do. You can watch videos on a whole host of different topics. Um, and I'll hopefully see you next week for next week's podcast. Have a good one. Be blessed.